Hi, I'm Arturo. And I'm Armando. Welcome to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast, the show where we hear the stories of incredible people shaping the heartbeat of the SCU community. From students and professors to local leaders and beyond, join us as we immerse ourselves in the Voices of Santa Clara, making waves and creating change. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we hear from Bill Maines. He's been an integral part of the SEU community since 2007. He currently serves as the Director for Assessment and Special Projects in the Levy School of Business and Director for Member Development in the Center for Conscientious Leadership off-campus. He previously served as Director for Sustainability and Leadership with his journey beginning as Assistant Director for Center of Student Involvement. Since then, his impact extends to roles as leadership lecturer and other student-centered positions, not just here at SEU, but also at the University of the Pacific, Loyola Marymount, and SJSU. He's an award-winning instructor and coach with an amazing career. You can hear more about it in the previous episode featuring Bill, but for now, let's get into it. Cool. Um, real quick again, I just want to acknowledge how excited I am. Um, you've had this, you know, very different impact on my life and Mondo's. We thought you'd be perfect to, you know, speak with, um, right off the bat and I'll pass the mic to you after I ask, um, we want to hear about your values, uh, going off of Barry Posner's five practices for exemplary, uh, leadership, um, effective leaders have to have this understanding of their own core values. And we just wanted to hear more about your values and, and what, you know, you value the most. Yeah, that's a great way to start. Um, yeah, so I guess if, if I were to talk about my values, I'd have to talk a little bit first about their origins. Um, I think my values were formed in my family of origin, uh, where, I, where I was born and grown up. Um, my mom was a homemaker, formerly a teacher. My dad was a pastor um, in the Lutheran church. And so from early on, I remember there being a great sense of responsibility and fidelity to one's family. And so for me, I think a value that I've pulled from that is, is uh, family and how to support one's family, how to encourage the family bonds um, and how to be a good support, but also challenge in an appropriate way. So family is one core value that's there for me. Um, another is a sense of responsibility to make things better than when you found them. I'm not sh- sure if I think of an exact title for that value, but it's a sense that um, you're entrusted with a certain amount of time uh, in your lifetime, and you're entrusted with some uh, deeper, different people who come into your life and different programs that you might be affiliated with. And there's a responsibility that goes along with trying to improve all those things, to try to improve people's lives or try to improve the programs that you're a part of. So I certainly think that I, I do my best to, ad- to adhere to that value. Um, and then maybe the, the third, fourth, and fifth um, that come from my own faith um, as a Christian, it's, it's faith, hope, and love. Um, so faith to, uh, in, in my creator, uh, a faith in what that creator has called me to do, um, try to uh, create conditions most conducive to, to creation's flourishing. Hope is that um, maybe others call it optimism, but a hope that you can make things better, that hope that there are better things around the bend, and if you just keep on working at it, they'll come around. Uh, A hope that um, this human condition is temporary and that there's something better. And then love, um, the the great equalizer, 
Um, everything and everyone is worthy of love. And uh, it's uh, not only a responsibility, but it's a, an opportunity. It's a gift to be able to express that love in a way that other people can feel it and respond to it and hopefully carry it forward in their own lives. I wanted to say it's beautiful that you mentioned the hope and love part. Because I feel like we're so used to hearing if people talk about values, it's like discipline, improvement, hard work. But to hear that's really refreshing. Um, we know that you're very grounded in your family. We listen to the episode. You speak really highly of your wife and your kids. So the question we had was, what are the th maybe the three most important lessons you want your kids to know before they leave the nest and get out of the house? Um. So uh, there's a theologian who means a lot to me. His name is Philip Hefner, and uh, he was at the University of Chicago, Chicago Lutheran Theological Seminary. I encountered him when I went through seminary myself. And he defines human beings as created co-creators. So whether you want to think about human beings' development from a scientific perspective or from a theological pers perspective, I think both can agree that we're created. Uh, we don't didn't just happen. We are created through some process. But we also are unique in that we can cooperate with our own creation to create environments, again, most conducive to, to flourishing, hopefully creation's flourishing. So I want my kids certainly to have this understanding of themselves as having this, um, this power, this ability to create environments that are not just conducive to their own flourishing, but to those and, of others in their communities. Um, that's something that's really important for, for both my wife and I, for them to understand that, that um, agency they have in, in doing that. Um, I think another lesson that's really important for, for both of us, for our kids, is, is, is love. Um, to understand that um, they are loved um, and that um, the world is a place that um, may not always feel like it's loving them back, but it's there if they look for it and it's there if they create it. Um, so certainly want them to come out of, of our household into their own feeling a sense of that they are loved as they are and that other things and other people are worthy of being loved as they are as well. You said three. So maybe a third lesson is um, maybe back to that core sense of responsibility um, to try to make things better um, than with how they found it. Um, and that probably goes along with this creative agency that I think people um, have in inherently within them. Um, so this sense of responsibility, a sense of opportunity to get involved and to work their butts off to try to make things better in whatever way they can, um, in whatever definitions they have. Uh, so, yeah, I guess the, those would be the three. I've been, I've been big on this um, unconditional love grind that I get a lot from Father Greg Boyle and, you know, his books. Um, and that is something that I think is, is taught. I don't think a lot about that. Um, on the parenting thing, on the last interview, you mentioned this quote um, that your parents told you to be like a duck, nice and smooth on the surface. Um, but under the surface, obviously, we're scurrying like crazy. Um, I was wondering what specific tactics uh, would you recommend to students who are scurrying... <laughs> Under the water, they're scudding like crazy, maybe without direction. Um, I know we talked about this um, before the interview, but I was just wondering if there's anything that you would say to the broader SEU community. 
I think I'd want to use a new metaphor, and that's to see their life as a mountain with no top. And what I mean by that is that um, what I've learned um, to this point in my life, and especially the last 10 years or so, is that um, it, life can be really, really exciting and really, really fun if you're focused more on the process and become less focused on specific outcomes. Um, if there's that hope and that faith that things will turn out the way they're supposed to be, whatever that is, then it's, it's a lot of fun just to be able to focus on what you're doing at the moment, to have this mindfulness of focusing on what you're doing at the moment, and then what you can do today to make yourself the best possible version of yourself that day, and then what you can do tomorrow to continue that growth. Um, so it, it's bandied about quite a bit, but that idea of a growth mindset, how can you incorporate that into your own life, day-to-day -day life, and then just have the faith and trust um, that the outcomes will be things that you can be proud of, that you will be happy with uh, arriving at. Um, certainly, that goes along with that metaphor, mountain no top, is the idea of certainly the struggle, but also um, you need a rest. You need to take a t time to stop and take a look around you and see what you've accomplished so far and to see who's accompanying, with you, accompanying you on that climb and to take uh, a view of the beautiful scenery that might be around you from different vantage points in your life. And also maybe to take pause and take a look up the mountain and see you know, which routes maybe make the most sense to move forward to get to that next ledge where you can stop and take a pause again. So I think the, the duck metaphor, sure, it works. Um, but the one that I'm really ascribing to these days is the idea of a mountain with no top. Um, so that's what I have to offer on that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Would you say that kind of ties into your whole, the thing you said earlier about constant self-improvement, improving things around? Is that? Yeah. Gotcha. This is something we, we did a little bit of research on the, the CCO. Um, and there's a quote in one of the videos that says, um, successful leaders and people have the ambition to do rather than have, um, and they possess a fearless self-awareness. We were really curious as to what exactly the fearless self-awareness part was, because we both feel like we understand what self-awareness is, but the fearless aspect, we're a little confused on what that means. So if you could maybe explain a little bit about it and then some specific tactics you would recommend to young people who want to be successful, who want to be leaders, um, in terms of achieve or reaching that fearless self-awareness. Yeah, self-awareness, it's pretty self-evident what that means. Um, you know, aware of what your gifts are, what your values are, what your sense of purpose is, some priorities, things you want to accomplish in life, and the, the type of person you want to go be as you go do it. Um, that's what we mean by self-awareness. Uh, the fearless part of it, that, that qualifier of awareness, um, that encourages a person to take a look at the things that maybe they don't want to look at. So what are the things in your life that block you from being the person that you really want to be or keep you from doing the things that you really want to do? Um, what are the false selves that we project out to the world so that everybody thinks we're a little bit better than maybe we actually are or that we are feeling fine even though we might feel really lousy at the moment? Or that we have all these successful things in our lives when maybe we aren't quite so confident that we do. So the fearless self-awareness is a reflection back on, you know, what's the true story? What's the real story? What's the real real? And then being able to operate from that as a leader, um, making peace with these things that 
stop you from being the best version of yourself. Making peace with the things that happened in your past that continue to either color the way you see the world or cause you some sort of um, emotional damage or trauma, but able to, to reconcile those and understand they're part of your experience, but they don't necessarily have to be part of who you are anymore. How can you extract the lessons from those things and apply them moving forward? That only happens by doing fearless self-awareness, being able to look at the shadows, to look in the dark places of your life, of your psyche, of your makeup, coming to terms with it, and then using that information to move forward in a way that's truly, authentically you, based on what you want, not what you think everybody else wants for you to have. That was awesome. At SCU, do you feel, or not even at SCU, I'm curious even about your personal life. Is there a phase, maybe a stage in life when that fearless kind of acknowledging that real, real happens? Maybe should it happen earlier? Sometimes I feel like I think about it a little too much at this early stage. It's like, hold up, let me get let me get grounded. Let me think about what's actually the direction before I even start worrying about that. And maybe if you could talk about your own personal. I think people are ready when they're ready. And I'm, I'm not going to be so arrogant to suggest that I know what the right time for somebody to do, to do that is. Um, I think it's my, one of my, my tasks or one of my roles, responsibilities in my current position at Santa Clara is to offer an opportunity for students to engage in that sort of, that, that critical, that um, fearless self-reflection. Now, some students are ready for it and they respond to it. Others think they're ready and try to respond to it, and others aren't ready at all. And that's okay. That there's, there's no judgment there, and there's no expectation that people are ready at a certain time. It, it can happen. It just needs to happen organically for that person with, a sen- with, with, with some sense of intentionality about it too. Like you need to understand that this is something you really want to do. Um, and then when the time's right, uh, the conditions will present themselves, and you'll reach out and seek out mentorship and guidance and, and, and to do it. Um, for me, uh, I think you asked if I can remember when I was ready. Is that the best way to phrase that? Uh, what the journey was like. Yeah. Well, the journey for me, um, <laughs> growing up in a big family, um, oldest of, of 12 kids, um, it, it didn't always allow for a very reflective, um, way of life in that it was often about, um, the day-to-day strategizing of, of how to make it through that day. Um, and then going off to college, I had some, a really uh, great instructor uh, who meant a lot to me and caused me to ask some questions that maybe I hadn't thought about before. And then going off to grad school after that, I had a, a supervisor who was fantastic at asking me some really thought-provoking questions and things that I didn't want to think about or pursue. Um, frankly, it was, it was putting myself into some um, therapy that allowed me to explore these things in a safe environment um, and also ask some good questions. Um, And then frankly, um, marrying, well, marrying somebody who would um, put up with my questions and would entertain the conversations I wanted to have about who I was and what I wanted to go do. Um, That's been incredibly important too. Um, Most recently, I think taking advantage of the environment in which I find myself. So working at, at an Ignatian university um, where there's um, 
so many different ways to get about this idea of, of self-reflection, of, of, of fearlessly looking at yourself. Um, currently, our Ignatian Center is sponsoring faculty and staff to go through the Ignatian exercises, and I've been doing that, um, started that um, two or three months ago, and that's been eye-opening, uh, the, the different revelations that that's occur- provided to me. Um, the last thing I think I'd mention for the sake of this podcast is, is having my kids. Um, when Liam was born uh, 14 years ago, um, it was a game changer, total mindset. Life wasn't just about me anymore. Um, it, it was me and my wife and this little person that just came into the world. And what kind of person did I want to be for him? And what kind of lessons did I want to impress upon him by the way I lived and by the way I carried myself and the things that I talked about um, at home with him. Um, so having children certainly was a, a catalyzing moment for me in terms of leading a more intentionally reflective life. If I could quickly build off what you talked about, you mentioned how there were certain um, teachers or maybe someone who came into your life that gave you questions that caused you to to think a little more and see a broader view of things. Can you explain what those questions were? Yeah. So um, in college, it was just this idea of finitude. Um, So this idea by my psychology professors, um, Larry, to be specific, Larry Fremming. Um, Larry would ask questions about what's the point of life? Why, what's the point of human existence? Why are you here, Bill? What's your calling? Um, what's your sense of responsibility? Those were heady questions that, yeah, I maybe had considered casually uh, before then, but to actually be asked that by a mentor, by someone who I looked up to, an authority figure, and expect a real answer back, that was, that was different for me. Um, and then uh, in grad school, my first supervisor to ask me questions about my understanding of my own identity, uh, my race. What does it mean for me to be white? What does it mean for me to be male? What does it mean for me to be a heterosexual male? Um, what do I think of people of different ethnic groups? Uh, how do I respond to them? How do I relate to them? Uh, these are things certainly, sure, I thought about, but never really had to give an answer to or, or a thoughtful answer to. So does someone take the time to kind of ask those questions of me as a young professional was incredibly important to my idea of who I was and what I wanted out of the world and what I thought I could provide the world. Um, So having people in my life who weren't afraid to ask me questions that were going to be potentially awkward and knowing that it was going to be okay if I didn't have an answer right away um, was, was really important. Sorry for all the thoughts. Can I ask, you mentioned the Ignatian Center was, um, yeah, exactly. Can we ask what questions are maybe, that maybe you're getting within the Ignatian Center that are causing you to have new revelations? Yeah, so keep in mind, I'm, I'm still a novice in this thing, so I'm still learning everything about it. But some of the questions that have been most powerful for me is, one, do you know that you are loved unconditionally by God? Now, I've, I've studied theology. I have a master's degree in theological ethics, and I've thought I've had a pretty good understanding of that, and I grew up in the church. But to be put on the spot, do I know that God loves me unconditionally? 
I had to really think about that and I struggled with it because I don't know if I did really fully believe that. I don't know if I still truly, frankly, really fully believe that now. Um, another question is, um, can you imagine what your life would be like if there was no God? Now, for me as a person of faith, that is scary. That's a really scary question for me. Uh, this, this sense of support, this sense of, of guidance, this sense of this um, project that I'm involved in with, with this sense of God, to think that all that is gone, all that is a myth, all that is not part of, no longer available to me, that was scary for me. And I didn't like it. Um, and so it really brought me back to this place of what does my faith truly mean to me? And how does it operate in my life in a way that's meaningful on the daily, um, not only in the long-term thinking? So those are some of the questions that really stood out to me as, as important, um, scary, but also ultimately very useful. No, definitely a quick shout out to the Ignatian Center. I've done a couple of immersions um, and gosh, to any students listening out there, definitely get involved with the Ignatian Center. Um, big important questions being asked out there. In relation to the Ignatian Center, um, you know, a lot of leaders are coming out of Santa Clara University. Um, and I was wondering if you've noticed the Jesuit values play a role in your approach to teaching leadership, or maybe um, how you see a difference in leaders from this university versus maybe leaders who are not coming from Jesuit universities. Uh, yeah, pretty broad. A few things stand out to me. Um, first is this Ignatian idea of, of reflection and discernment, where effective leadership can really be enhanced by experiencing things, reflecting on them, discerning new learnings or newer information from that, through that reflection, and then applying that learning moving forward, and then allowing that to become a virtuous cycle where you're constantly living in a way of acting, reflecting, learning, and applying, and then rinse and repeat over and over and over again. I think that's a uniquely Ignatian approach to leadership um, that I find um, to be powerful, uh, kind of a superpower, to be, to be honest, with leaders. Another is this idea of vulnerability and sharing, um, where I think oftentimes leaders feel that they have to know all the answers and they have to project a sense of, of ultimate confidence all the time. But the idea of being able to share one's experiences with a trusted group of others, people who, have, who are older than you, and have lived these experiences previously, you can say, come along, I've been this, I've done this before, let me show you the way. Or others who are peers that say, yeah, I'm experiencing that too, here's how I'm feeling about it. And so you can just get those emotions off your chest. And then others that you can provide mentorship to yourself where you can give that gift because it feels good as a leader to be able to give that gift of mentorship to others. So I think involving other people in your own journey is really important. Um, I think another is, is the, the, the Ignatian concept of um, cura personalis. So not just interested in the financial bottom line of, of leadership or in a specific outcome, but how can you care truly for the people that you're leading about in a full, full way? That means caring about their, their, their mental makeup, caring about their emotions, caring about their spirituality and their health. Um, so 
how can you be a leader in a way that really values the whole person that's sitting across from you or that is looking to you for guidance or the next steps? I think Ad Majorum De Glorium is another one that really stands out to me, being able to find God in all things. Um, as a person of faith, um, you know, it's important for me to understand that when I'm down, God's there. Uh, when I'm doing great, God's there. Um, when it's just normal, God's there. And to understand that this is a, a, a constant presence that's available um, is, is something that I also take from the Ignatians or from the Jesuits and the Ignatian spirituality. Um, I think the last thing that really stands out to me is, is being a person of action. It's not enough just to think about what the right thing to do is. It's not just enough to um, reject theories or to get into um, rich discussions about potential next steps, but you actually got to go out and do something. I think the Jesuits are, are known for being contemplatives in action, right? They, they think deeply, they seek to educate themselves and others, but then they go actually go out and do something about it. And that is incredibly important from, from a leadership perspective. It's not enough just to think about it. You actually got to go do it. I'm going to make a slight assumption, but I'm going to assume that you probably really value interpersonal relationships. Based off what you said about how leaders, um, it should be a caring for the full person in front of you. And um, the question I had was, what are some maybe overlooked skills when it comes to developing interpersonal relationships? Um, well, that fearless self-awareness is really important with interpersonal relationships so that you can be real and authentic and not be a poser for people to think you might try to be something that you're not. Um, another is, is paying attention to emotional intelligence, um, to understand that you have emotions, one, but that two, that you understand why they're, why you're feeling the way that you're feeling and, um, why other people might be feeling the way that they're feeling. Um, so that, that's really important, I think, is, is paying attention to that emotional intelligence and being able to generate emotions when you need them, when the situation calls for them. The third is empathy. Um, taking the time to understand that it's not just a voice, it's not just an idea that you're responding to. There's a human being there. And to seek to understand what's that person's, uh, what's their background? What's their experiences? What's their sense of understanding of things? Why do they... Why are they saying the things that they're saying? Why are they feeling the things that they seem to be feeling? Um, so to really try to have an empathetic approach to the other is, is vitally important. Um, at the risk of sounding a bit too philosophical or eggheadish, <laughs> there's a, a philosopher I encountered in, in theology school, a seminary, named Emmanuel Labanas. Um, incredibly dense writer. I maybe understood 20% of what I read, to be honest. Um, but one thing I did come away from with, come away with from him is this idea that, um, of the other capital O, um, oftentimes when we encounter the other, we seek to either annihilate it or assimilate it into ourselves. Um, and so this idea of being able to respect the other as other, 
um, to be able to understand that there's somebody different or something different there than me and to value that and to appreciate it and to seek to understand it and learn from it. Um, that's another thing that I think is really important um, in terms of interpersonal relationships. So again, sorry for being a bit eggheadish on that one, but I think it's important. To what degree does developing young leaders play a role in your life and, and why is it so important to you? Well, frankly, I think a lot of it comes down to a couple things. Uh, first is that, as I said before, I'm genuinely interested in trying to make the world a better place, trying to leave it better than how I found it. And there's only so much I can do as one individual. And so if I can somehow impact the lives of at least a couple, a few young leaders who can go out and have that same impact on other people, there's a ripple effect there that makes me feel good and makes me feel like I'm, I'm doing something to make the world better. So that's one thing. Um, another, young professionals, young leaders are just a lot of fun to work with. Um, they've got amazing ideas. They have so much energy and enthusiasm about the world and what they might go do. That's infectious. And I think in some ways it keeps me young in my own outlook and my own hopes and dreams for what the world might be. And so frankly, I just, I have a lot of fun. I have a ton of fun working with young leaders and young professionals. Um, and then third is, is probably a little bit more selfish in that I do have three boys. Um, Nock and I have three boys. And I want them to have a better world. And I want them to live in a place where um, their needs are going to be taken care of and they're going to have opportunities. And so if I can have some impact on people who are going to be in positions of authority and decision makers in the future, um, then I feel pretty good about the, the world that my kids are going to inherit. Um, because um, I've, I've said this often, uh, if, a, if a Bronco is making the decision, most likely it's probably going to be a pretty good decision. I'm currently taking a class called Psychology of Leadership. It's with Professor Shannon. It's a great class. One of my favorite takeaways um, has been on the power of regret and that, how that can be. It can play as a, it, it's sort of like a teacher in your life. Um, and on that, you know, that second example you gave, how it, it would be worse to find out later and regret. Can you speak a little bit how regret may have been a teacher in your own life? Regret's a tricky thing for me. Um... I am, I am the product of my life experiences and I would not be who I am or where I am if I hadn't made the choices I made earlier in my life or hadn't had the experience I had earlier in my life. And I'm grateful for who I am today and I'm grateful for where I'm at today. Now that's not to say I wouldn't potentially be grateful for who I am am if I had done something differently or something different had, had happened to me. Um, but that's just a, an experiment that I, I can't really prove anyway. But I can know that I am grateful for who I am today and what I have in my life today. And so when it comes to regret, it's hard for me to really value regret in that way. Now, sure, there's things in my past that I wish I would have done differently. And there's things in my past where I've made poor decisions. And there's experiences I've had that I have not enjoyed. 
if I could go back in time, yeah, I'm sure there's things that I wish I would have done differently or could do differently. But I can't go back in time. Um, I can only live in the moment that I have today and strive to be an even better version of myself tomorrow. And so that's where I tend to place most of my energy. Um, I will say again that I think it's important to live a reflective life to try to learn from your past experiences and to extract learnings from them. But again, it's not about trying to change things that happened or change the decisions that I've made. It's more about learning the outcomes of those things and applying them moving forward so that I can live in an even more authentic life to who I want to be and who I think I am and hopefully have um, outcomes that I can be proud of uh, in, in my future life. So regret for me places maybe too much emphasis on the past. For me, it's it, a better a better word for me is reflection like, because that has more of a, a forward focus. Well, you have students, family, obviously, who is is very grateful for for you and who you are today, based off of all that life experience. <laughs> um, you know, we're coming up on forty minutes here. Uh, I want to ask, you know, head towards the end here. Um, you're super busy with the Levy School business and the CCL. We were just wondering, uh, what's keeping you occupied? What are you excited about? What are you working on? Um, any, any updates coming in the future? Yeah, th great question. So, um, happy to share that I just finished an MBA program here at Santa Clara. Finished that this last year. That was awesome. Um, so part of that mountain with no top is I'm a lifelong learner and I keep on trying to improve myself. So that's one thing I'm proud of doing. I uh, received a great education from my colleagues here in the business school. Um, and then actually just a few days ago, I completed um, a certificate program in coaching. Um, so I'm going to be hanging my shingle as a, uh, a life and leadership uh, coach. Um, so I'm getting in the process of becoming certified by ICF and that's pretty exciting. Um, hope to have that certification all wrapped up um, early part of next year. And then, uh, like I said, hang in my shingle. Um, other things that I'm involved in or that I'm doing, I'm excited about. Um, my, I've got active kids who are involved in sports. Liam's a swimmer. Eli's a soccer player. Milo's a basketball player and a, a baseball player and a soccer player and swimmer and everything else that he wants to do. Um, so that's a lot of fun. Um, being involved with their activities is, is a great source of joy for me. Uh, I've been a volunteer at my church with lots of different things. Uh, our church has celebrated its 50th anniversary at congregation. I was privileged enough to serve as the chair of that organizing committee for that, and that was great to pull that together. Um, yeah, and I guess the other thing I would mention too is that um, my mom just moved out here. Um, she lives close by now, about a mile from my house. And so, um, you know, figuring out how to incorporate her into our life in, a, in an authentic manner and how to um, help her live a life that is full of meaning and purpose um, is another great adventure that I find myself on now. Um, I guess I'm in that stage of life where, you know, I, that's, that's what I get to do now too. Um, so those are things that are occupying my time and that I'm excited about. Awesome. Great conversation with Bill. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um, you can check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or follow and like the Instagram at Voices of Santa Clara. 
Check out VoicesOfSantaClara.com for some shortened transcripts and brief recaps. Till then, see you next time.